0: Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit. This is episode 210. I'm Sean and here's Ronan.
1: Hello everyone, and you're very welcome back. The Game Pit is a podcast about board games and modern tabletop gaming. And a member of the Dice Tower Network for more board gaming podcasts, head to dicetower.com and lots of other gaming stuff. Sean, what are we up to today?
0: Well, we're going to start off by uh, talking about a few games that we've been playing recently. We've actually managed to play a few of these together, Ronan, which is really good for once. And then we'll be moving into our top 10 of 2014.
1: Our ongoing Bleeding Egg series once a year. We look back 10 years because as far as we're concerned, if there's games that we're still playing from 10 years ago, they have thoroughly passed the test of time. So we're going to talk about our personal top 10s and a quick rundown through the Board Game Geek top 10 rated games released in 2014 and our thoughts on them. And Sean, you and I, the perfect couple... <laughs> I
0: don't know about that, but we did all right in Sky Team, designed by Luke Raymond and coming from Scorpion Mask. And Ronan will introduce it, but it's basically about landing a plane.
1: Well, it is. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dice allocation game. Both players, you've got a pilot and the co pilot, you roll four dice. Two of those dice have to go in certain positions to keep the plane level and to measure the speed of the plane. And then you're moving your altitude will move each round or tick down, but you're trying to judge your distance to the airport. There are planes in your way. You've got to radio them out your way. You've got to prepare your landing gear. You've got to prepare cups of coffee for when your dice are bad. and You've got to try and winky wonky it. You've each got slightly different roles. And the game comes with a, a simple scenario where you're landing into Montreal, Scorpion Mask from uh, over that area, Quebec. And then what you'll find is that once you play it, And you think, oh, this is a cool game. Like, I've played this a couple of times. It then says to you, open the other bit of the box, and there is a whole host of other things. None of the massive changes, but lots of little modular rules that get added in that mean you want to steer your plane a certain way or maybe manage your fuel, or I won't get into too many spoilers on it. But various ways to add variety. That's an awesome sentence, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I only played the, the introductory
0: scenario with you Right, and so it'll be interesting to see if you've actually delved a bit further. But what I did find, and I, I immediately asked you when we finished playing, was, is there any more? And that was a good thing for me, because normally if I'm not interested in the game, I don't really care. But I immediately was saying to you, is there any more to it? Because that's wet the appetite.
1: So how wetted was your appetite? So you've played the original, I've played it with, I think, four different people, that first scenario. So give me your thoughts on it as, as the original game has presented.
0: As, as presented, I was a bit tentative going into it. I don't often like that sort of hidden communication styley games, but this does what I do like in Because uh, you can't talk to each
1: other, right? You roll your That's dice, right, once the yeah. dice are rolled, you can't tell each other. It's only by placing the dice that you're trying to work out what they might have and yeah. what they want you to do.
0: But going back to things like Fuse and stuff like that, where you actually can have a really co- a proper discussion about things and then it's just those... Whatever, a couple of minutes, three, four, five minutes when you're just laying the dice. You can't talk, but then you can go back to talking again for the next round. So that in itself is something I do really enjoy. I don't mind the non-communication side of things if I can have a proper discussion in between. So my appetite to answer your question was whetted enough to actually buy the game run. And I now own SkyTeam.
1: I'm shocked, it's unlikely to just buy a game that's caught your eye. Yeah, physically, it's a nice production, it's simple, it doesn't cost too much, but it all does exactly what you want it to do. The iconography is fantastic. Once you start opening it up and learning these new rules, it starts getting tougher. So I've played through the six green scenarios, which are the easiest level, there's green, yellow, red and black, and now I've started on the yellow scenarios. And over that, that's been, I've, I think, close on 20 plays, because I've played with various people, like I said. Actually, I think maybe it's five people I've played it with. Anyway, but it all is clear. And every time a new module comes out, once you read the paragraph that explains it, the components help you play. And I think that's important because it's tough in a, in a no communication game if you don't understand the rules. If you're like, I'm not quite sure what the implication of this is. People get a little bit tripped over on speed and brakes and stuff. I think that's just panic rather than anything else. But you didn't, it's not like you had to turn around to me and ask me what anything did short after the first ex- five minute explanation. It's, it's a well-made production.
0: It does look a little bit daunting because you, you, when you're explaining it, so we have to make sure this happens and we have to make sure that happens and this can't happen and this must happen. So it, it does feel a bit daunting, but when you start playing it, it all makes thematic sense, which which we've always said really aids in the learning of a game. If, if it makes thematic sense, it works and it helps. And it, and it really did. And I, I kind of really got into
1: it. So from the initial kicking of the engines, Sky Team has continued to soar into the sky for me. I'm I'm really impressed I'm certain that Rachel and I Ellie and I whoever are going to be playing this for a long time are we doing scores we can do
0: absolutely let's do have it have you got a score for Sky Team I will give Sky Team a score of 74
1: okay okay so I need to get some more advanced scenarios out for you to improve that because I <laughs> love Sky Team. As you can tell by it so many times, I keep getting it out. Everyone's been impressed with it, even with initial cynicism, and I'm giving Sky Team an 88.
0: Ooh, that should be one. Cool. All right, we're going to move on to... Tales to Amaze from the Unmatched series of games designed by Jason Hager and Darren Reckner and coming from Restoration Games. I had played, and I'm not sure if you have yet or not, but I've played the original Unmatched where it's everyone against everyone, all the different characters coming in. And I, I think it's good, not great. I'm not blown away by it. But I've always thought, yeah, it's interesting, and and there's toy the toy factor is very much there of all these different characters and throwing them together. So I was interested to try Tales to a Maze, which Ronan purchased.
1: So I've had a nibble. I've had one game of the of the proper Unmatched, if you like. Oh, What's okay. interesting okay. to me in Tales to a Maze, and what I've played it again quite a few times. There's two scenarios. There's against Mothman, which is sort of the introductory one. And then there's against a Martian Invasion, which I think is the real game and certainly is much more interesting. But it's very hard. Now, Tales to Maze comes as a, as a discrete package within the unmatched world. And there's a few things that it purports to do, including that you can play any character within it. There's a few things to unpack there. What I have discovered, though, is that if you're not familiar with the unmatched system, Tales to Amaze is very difficult. And if you're not playing with four players, Tales to Maze is very difficult. Ooh. So it came out with a huge buzz and a lot of, oh, great, this is a great way to play, great way to play a match and get introduced to the system. I'm not sure it is a great way to get introduced to the system of Unmatched. And certainly it is not a good way in which you can play lots of different characters in a co-op setting for Unmatched. Because just a lot of characters just don't work.
0: Yeah, so thinking of some of the characters I've played they just wouldn't work in those scenarios so I'm going to steal a little bit of what we discussed afterwards of our feelings of the game and it's something you said that really resonated with me was that you can't play this game because it's the co-op, obviously you can't play it like you play the singular one but I didn't feel like you could be really clever with this and go away and maybe turtle up for a little bit and and come in and, and smash or put two people other people against each other you almost had to be around the the big bads and attacking them all the time. There was no subtlety of play. It was just it felt like you just had to smash into them all the time because otherwise they just absolutely run away with the game.
1: Yeah, so like the big bads come with a number of smaller bads, if you like, depending upon the number of players, which is sort of the only nod towards player count dependent. And they could be a huge pain. There's like um, the Jersey Devil will just strip cards out of your hand. And in this format, cards in your hand are absolutely vital because there's a timer, no matter the story, there's a timer to it. And it's ticking along and it's tight and you don't have a lot of time. And that idea that you might be able to go in, engage, come back out and reset a little bit, maybe throw your minion in the way so they can slow them down and you can build your hand back up and go again. It just doesn't happen. And because it's quite relentless, this system... I've always found out that I end up with very few cards in hand and therefore very few choices. And then I'm like it's down to can I top deck something decent to make something happen here? This is kind of an extreme version of what I'm feeling when I play. I always feel like we can get somewhere, we can kill one or two of sort of the small baddies, but the game's gonna start overwhelming me and the, the tipping point at which that happens, earlier or later, I, I, the Mothman's winnable but it becomes a huge clump in the middle in order to win it. you just all got to run in these bridges that that Mothman's trying to destroy, but it doesn't have to go to the bridges to destroy them. So that becomes like the the movement aspect of Unmatched gets removed. Against the Martian Invasion, you do have to move around a bit, but to me, unless you've got four characters, you can't really afford to move away to move back in again. It's too punishing. So I think great familiarity with the Unmatched system is going to help a lot in enjoying Tales to Amaze. I'm I'm on the fence because I'm not sure that it it will.
0: Because I think it plays differently enough, and yeah, as I said, the, you don't have that subtlety. You don't feel clever playing the co-op version of it so much. I think that might help with with cleverer villains, as we said. Maybe they maybe they will move away and force us to move away and come back in, and maybe they don't always smash into you and quickly eradicate any chance you have of winning the game unless you're fighting them. But I have to admit that I definitely prefer the player versus player version to the co-op version so far.
1: My player versus player experience has been overshadowed by the fact that I'm frustrated with Tales to Amaze. And I want Tales to Amaze to be a really good experience, but I can't get it there. And so I was playing player versus player to kind of learn and see whether I was making obvious mistakes. And as well as wanting to sort of learn whether I was just awful at the game, which I think I am. Also, within the box of Tales to Maze, there's four different characters, two of whom are quite interesting. In The Golden Bat is definitely the most interesting to play, but can be frustrating. I know you played as the Golden Bat. Ooh. Nikola Tesla can really just be a glass cannon, can fire off, burn through their deck, do a whole load of damage. They're almost that you might have to include them when you're playing. The other two, within Tales to Maze, I just felt it, it created that morass they have to pile in and then all the, the smaller ones just follow after them and then you just get this mud where nothing's moving and you're just <sighs> So I want to see if they'd be more interested in player versus player. And they were a bit, but the whole thing I was kind of I was trying to force a way to enjoy Tales to Mace because I love the idea and the whole concept of our match of all these different characters from all different legends and everything being able to fight each other. It's just it's like a childhood dream come true. I'm kinda of living in this world where I'm in constant hope of something changing in my experience. <laughs> and this actually starts becoming fun because I'm I'm so frustrated that I can't get a good experience out of Tales of Maze.
0: My thing is I, I've had games of the original Unmashed. Literally the original box I played. I think I played a Simbad and that has I think Robin Hood and stuff like that in it. I've played the Redemption Row, which has Moon Knight, Luke Cage in it, uh, Ghost Rider. They were all really interesting characters to play, and I felt that they played really thematically. That's what kind of lent me to thinking that Unmatched is a good game. Not a great game, but a good game. Touching on what you said again this one, the characters weren't as interesting. I only played the, the Golden Bat, which is kind of interesting, but I didn't get the cards. that they, they didn't come through the interesting cards, so even that one wasn't great. Your one didn't seem amazing. We had a quick flick through the, the other decks. They didn't seem
1: particularly I've, Well, amazing. I played all of them. Definitely played all of them, and Tesla and Golden Bat are the only interesting ones. Cool. So, if I was to score
0: unmatched the player versus player i would give that a 65 good not great this is a 55
1: i can't really score a match just yet because i think it's been overshadowed like i was doing stuff like taking sherlock holmes into tales to amaze and then the whole prediction thing was just dumb because sometimes yeah. <laughs> you get a really small it's not a person uh, even dracula took Dracula in there and used the brides and they just they have got one hit point point. they just got destroyed. It was like, oh, it was frustrating. So, you know, this whole thing you can use, that's why I'm saying any character, it doesn't work at all. So I think Tales to Amaze has been oversold to me. Specifically, the Dice Tower crew love it and giving it nine laughs and tens and stuff. Ooh. You know, <laughs> nah. <laughs> 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 and I maybe have overburdened Tales of Maze. I've given it a 52. And I'm still torn about moving it on because I I just kind of feel like there should... I just want this to work. I want it so badly to work. And I just can't... Like, like the tarantula power that puts webs out, stops you moving. You're like, oh, this could be interesting. No, because I hardly ever move. <laughs> <So it's> like, <laughs> especially as like, you know... Oh, whatever mate, I, I found the whole thing quite frustrating I want to play more now Unmatched after a while, cleanse my palette of Tales to Maze and give Unmatched a proper go so, uh, I don't know
0: Right, okay not, not the greatest of reviews for, for Tales to Maze. but let's move on to Marvel Zombies which was very kindly given to my son by a, a, a lovely gentleman on the other side of this podcast <laughs> and it's designed by Fabio Curry and Michael Schimmel and obviously comes from Simon. So Marvel Zombies is the zombie side with Marvel superheroes on it and the, the twist here or is, is that is are... it? <laughs> the twist here is that you are the zombies. You are the, or the zombies. are you? <laughs> well, you can play as the heroes, but you need an expansion to do that. But in the base game, you are the zombies, and you are facing government troops, police, and sometimes the actual heroes who haven't been turned into zombies. And it's, it's very similar to zombies. So you're moving around, you've got tasks to do. Every now and again, a horde will, of police, in this, in this instance, will come to try and take you down, and you've got to complete what you've got to do and get out.
1: Uh, an award. An award here, Sean. 2023's most confusing release ever. <laughs> there are actually three base games. That have been oh, well, there you go. <laughs> released as part of this whole thing, right? And I, I've had to play it and, like, work it out what the hell is going on. So you've got what Sean's talking about, Marvel, Zombicide, Marvel Zombies, where you're the zombies fighting the police. You've got... Marvel Zombies Heroes Resistance, Ooh. which is you are heroes fighting zombies and zombified heroes, but it's a £40 in the UK. It's a much smaller box, and all the zombies and everything are standees. So it's like a budget way into the system. But the system it's a budget way into is not the base system of Marvel Zombies. It's yeah. into the Resistance, which is an alternative way of playing, which has its own base game. <laughs> Which is Marvel Zombies X-Men Resistance. <laughs> huh, what? Huh, what? What? Who, what What department signed off on this? What the hell's going on? It's
0: almost like Seamon trying to get more money out of people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but how? No, because anyone you speak to, they just go, I have no idea. Then you get the Fantastic Four expansion, which is for both systems. You can go either way. <laughs> I go, <laughs> what, 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 what? What the hell? So... Sean's played the one where you're fighting the police and that. I've actually only played the other one. I bought Marvel Heroes Resistance, which is the standy one, the 40 quid. Of course I got the 40 quid one. I don't need all those plastic ones. So what I've played as you're one of six heroes and it is zombicide, but a streamlined zombicide system where they've removed noise, they've made it easy to open doors. They've given you power and more health, especially like Hulk has got five health. And have given you a, a way in which you feel powerful within the system. I think, sp- especially if you've played Zombicide before, you feel like you're slightly souped-up characters and that you've got special things you can do. Whereas, I think if you haven't played Zombicide before, maybe looking at Spider-Man having three health, you'd be like, oh, Spider-Man, why has he only got three health? Three health's pretty <laughs> good. Yes, well, you'll be all right with that. So, we've got two different sort of ways we've played an allegedly same system that has some possible <laughs> products.
0: So in the one I've played, which is where you are the zombies, there's a couple of changes from your base Zombicide games. In that, you have a hunger, and as you go on, as certain things happen, your hunger as a zombie builds up. And once you get to I think it's level four on your hunger, you can do nothing other than move and eat. And you want to eat, be eaten, some of the, the people or the heroes or whatever it comes to you to. Are we save level four you. humans? we're level five we're going beyond that we've transcended (laughs) bum shuffle and eat (laughs) and you have to go and eat something or eat someone before you can start doing your regular actions the other way it's changed is you don't pick up items anymore because you're superheroes you don't need a rusty pole to whack someone over the head or a frying pan so what they've replaced that with is traits and little little powers like one-off things that you can spend. And you can pick up one of those as per your turn, if you wish. So you don't have to go looking for them. They're just there. You can just take one off the top of the deck. Oh, look, I've got this. And some of them are good. Some of them are right, Some of them are bad. Some of them even let more, more of the police onto the board. So you've got to be a little bit careful. I thought that wasn't quite as interesting in Zombicide because a lot of the fun in Zombicide was looking for things and finding a gun and maybe finding like a Molotov cocktail or something where you can where you can go to town on the zombies. But the flip side of that is you feel super powered and you feel really cool because you are the zombie Hulk. So it was good. It was Zombicide.
1: I actually like that system for playing as the heroes because it gave you those heroic moments and it let you break beyond the rules quite often. So they're they're a card you draw and then you spend them, they're one offs and you hold a maximum of two. And it gave you those sort of comments, I was suddenly right, we're stuck here, but I can flip out of this and do this and I'll look here, I can roll two extra and come back in again. And I felt like in that way, each character, each player felt like they could pull something off and they weren't stuck within the confines of the system thematically being the heroes i thought it was it was really cool i also think that it's an indicator of a shift in tone away from base zombicide base zombicide is a survival horror you're struggling you're fighting frying pan you're, you're, you're panicking when you're shooting to a crowd you might hit your mates this is more of a hero game and it has a very different feel to me and that i am powerful i'm gonna be taking out a lot of zombies here Yes, maybe eventually it'll overwhelm me, but I'm going to feel like I can really straight away I can do stuff. I'm not scared. I'm I'm being positive. I'm going forward, and it plays a lot quicker than normal zombie side because in normal zombie side you've got to creep around, you've got to put a bit of noise over there to distract them. There's no noise in this system, so I, I love the two different feelings. But I do I did find that to be very thematic. I know you didn't love it as much as I did.
0: Another thing I did not notice: you are very definitely set up to do something. So the Hulk is very definitely set up to fight the other super when they come out. Captain America is very definitely set up to defend the people around him. So it does give you that identity immediately so you're not kind of like building up to anything. You start off with that pre-made identity. And that was good, especially when playing with James because he knew what he had to do. He knew what his role was within the team
1: oh yeah well that makes sense and Hulk when he gets to level 4 in the heroes one is immune then to walkers and runners only the bigger things can actually hit him so (laughs) he can't yeah and it does give you he doesn't people are moaning he doesn't do massive amounts of damage you're like he's immune to most of the zombies that's pretty powerful (laughs) um I've I enjoyed this a ton more than I thought I was going to and I'm already a Zombicide fan I'm already a Marvel fan So putting the two together, you think... And I just wasn't sure, like... Zombicide took turns away from that survival horror thing. The the original, the peril, the difficulty, the eking away. And made it easier to play. And I didn't enjoy it. It didn't make it more fun for me. When it went to Black Plague and and the Old West and all the rest of it. This, now... Instead of turning the dial back to what I thought I liked... has gone carried on around the dial to your heroes. And it's smoother and easier to play. And you can smash the bejesus out of things... And it's found another fun spot for me. And I actually have been loving playing it. I've bought the Fantastic Four expansion. It was on sale in a January sale. So I can play more of this. But this is the one I want to play. I don't particularly want to play Sean's one where you're beating up police and being zombies. that doesn't feel very Marvel to me. So <laughs> I'm very happy with the Resistance. I'm going to probably get X-Men Resistance at some point and add it onto it. And I have given Marvel Zombies the Resistance style 85
0: for me, it is a different enough, and that was one of my concerns. Is it just Zombie Side with heroes chucked in instead of normal people? It's not. There is a different feel to it, and therefore I can have them alongside in my collection, and I can go to Zombicide and have a slightly different experience than I can with Marvel Zombies. I would like to try... The, the the version that Ronan has, just to see what that feels like. But I think the new uh, DC version that's coming out soon in, in this coming year, Deceased, uh, will have that feeling, because that's all about being the heroes and attacking zombies. Are so you going to
1: seize Deceased?
0: I am going to give Marble Zombies a
1: 80. Ooh, big scores, big scores. Big Sean... Scores. You brought to my house a blingy, blingy cardy game.
0: Yeah, full of, that, full of um, theme. <laughs> I didn't say theme, is. I just said blingy. <laughs> <laughs> I brought Path of Civilization to your own, designed by Fabienne Riddell and coming from Captain Games. So, Path of Civilization was the one that got away. Well, one of the ones that got away when I went to Essen. It was the the one I caught out of the corner of my eye, and I just couldn't fit it in my bag, so I left it. And I managed to get hold of it when it came out on retail in over in this country. And what it is is it's a a Civ game. It's not a deck builder. I would say it's a deck recycler because you are bringing new cards into your into your hand, but you are constantly recycling five cards. You never have any more. We, well, I say that you can possibly have six, but we'll get to that. But generally, you only have five cards in your hand, and you're always discarding one. And you're doing various things like getting wonders, which are going to give you poise. Getting pe- notaries, famous people from history, who are going to give you special Aren't notaries powers. Something to do with like legal, legal <laughs> Maybe notables. I don't know. Whatever. You are getting famous people from history, <laughs> which are going to give you special powers. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you are, from round two onwards, and it's uh, up to nine rounds, you have an end-of-round task that you were trying to do. One of them is based on putting scribes in and getting points based on certain cards you've collected, and the other one's a war track, and you've got to get up as far as you can up the battle track, and whoever gets the top gets the top reward, etc. And that is, in a nutshell, of what Path of Civilization is Roden
1: thoughts impressive on the table? That's why I said when it was blingy. When you bring it out, it's colorful, it's kind of expansive for a game which actually is quite a small game of playing cards down. And you think, Core, oh, there's a lot going on here, like there's a lot to look at, but very smooth rules. Well taught, so presumably easy to teach, but all I can say is well taught. <laughs> And everything makes sense as well. So in that feeling of like, oh, this is going to be too much for the amount of decisions I'm going to make. No, it's not. It actually all works together and it's very clear and you can see your path through. Now, I think it's going to take a few plays to absolutely see your clear path through because there's a lot to think about. But nothing is being held back by the production, Sean. And I think it was very nicely made. The iconography, everything all makes sense. And... The the components which could be a bit you know bougie actually ease in the play.
0: They do once once you manage to get it out, it's a bit of a peak to set up, and it is a massive table hog. There's a lot of tracks going out the the decks of cards, which is which is absolute godsend. They're already pre prepared, and they're in trays, so you literally just unstack the trays and lay them out on the table. Otherwise, it would be completely unwieldy to set up. But yes, once it's out there all makes a lot of sense. They've even gone to the trouble of each of those end-of-round tasks that I mentioned. There's a little standee for each of the cards, so everyone can see all of the cards in advance, which is which is very important to the game, in that you need to be planning in advance what you want for each, each uh, end-of-round. So, that was a nice little touch. It takes up a lot of time, a bit of a fiddly to set them up, but once they're there, they are completely functional. So, I think Functionals, what they've gone for, and they've succeeded.
1: And in that, when it lays you out and says, "Look, this is this is where you need to get to." What well, I mean for one aspect of it, there's various ways of scoring points. There's lots of ways of scoring points. It says here's an overall way you might want to go a strategy if you like. But the game is very tactical. But I didn't feel like every decision was here and gone, here and gone. I was building up. I was creating my hand of cards. I was choosing where I wanted to go in particular and which so you you know you're driving up these different these different tracks. Uh, people get right away and say you're driving up different tracks. But it works in this. It <laughs> rather handing loads of different resources. It, you're just on a track and you spend it off there. It's, it's a much better way of doing it for this game. And at the same time as being able to do that, I was reacting tactically to, for example, what leaders came out or, to a lesser degree, what wonders came out and how the powers could combine up. And where yeah. maybe, for example, in the scientific research, suddenly Sean looked like he was going to jump ahead of me be able to choose the bonus for the next era, which you don't want the other player to do. You want to have some control over that. So suddenly, hold on, I need to make sure I'm keeping up with him there in order to be able to have a choice of that bonus with it alongside him because it's small things, small edges that can multiply and and build up. But you're always feeling positive because you're always getting something good. Now not in a way that this feels inconsequential and that no matter what I do I'm just gonna be given a thousand of everything. But I'm always choosing between two, three, four positive paths for myself. It's up to me which of those paths I go down. But they all feel like an achievement, and they all feel like I'm gathering momentum, and and my civilization is developing. They are. That was a reaching theme, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) And when you do bring those new cards into your hand, it starts off quite easy to to work out what you're going to discard, because your starting cards are quite rubbish. So... uh, anything that you bring in is better than them. I and mean, It's just a case of like, making sure that you're not getting locked out of a particular track and that, that's your really only concern. But as you get to the end, then that decision becomes really difficult. What do I need to, to come, have that push to the finale? Well, I will say it feels a lot different in a three and four player. I played four player just this last Saturday Night golf, so two nights ago, and... It felt so much more cutthroat with the, the wonders and the famous people because we were all vying for them. So when we played the two-player, uh, quite a lot of people came out that we
1: just left there from round to round. And Shall we talk about the vital one that I noticed at the end that gave me the one more war that won the game for me? Shall we talk about that?
0: <laughs> Let's never talk about
1: that. Okay, Absolutely. I'll just double-check it. <laughs> because there was no way of me getting that extra military power apart from that <laughs> Do you remember that? I noticed that one needed had been left there and I was like ah
0: look oh <laughs> things uh, that, that is another point for, <laughs> that I was going to make things can fall into your lap a little bit but with more players it's harder to make sure they fall into your lap so the I'll just quickly talk about the, the bidding system bidding system is you put your you pay for the person you want you put your cubes down Then you look, if somebody else puts their cubes on the same person, you look at the top of your board and there's a hierarchy of the symbols. Every person, every wonder, every card you bring in has a symbol on it of one of the five symbols. And you look in the hierarchy, so if yours is higher up than theirs, you get the card, and theirs go back to the train, and they can choose another one. If theirs is higher, then they, they get the card. You've got, you've got to be mindful of who's got higher in what and what you're going to be bidding against each other with. But yeah, it's, it's all bringing, bringing lots of cards into your hand, recycling them, and trying to push up those tracks and try to score as many points as you can.
1: Yes, I enjoyed it. I've only played it once, and it's very difficult to get a, like a really high rate of a game I've only played once. I would happily play it again. I would love to see how different it felt, because it did feel like I could combo almost into anything for a while. And towards the end, I was like, oh, I've really concentrated on this or that. So I'd like to be able to see how much I can drive my strategy through it. But I enjoyed the whole thing. A thoroughly pleasant process. I've given it a 70 for now, but it's a 70 that's rising. So... If
0: I'd have rated it, so I've played it five times now. If I'd rated it after the second or third play, this would have been an 85 all day long. Now, it's a 75 because it is very samey. You might concentrate on a different track and different cards might come out, but they all do effectively the same thing. So it doesn't feel like you're playing that much differently from game to game. So that's why it started to creep down. I still think it's a very good game and definitely one you should try. But yeah, I'm just wondering if it's got those legs where the 10 games in, I'm going to be bored of it. But there you go. That was Path of Civilization. It it
1: felt to me like you might pull it out every few months and I'll be like, oh yeah, because I haven't forgotten how to play it. And then you know, a few months after that, you pull it out and be like, yeah, because you know how to play it straight away. And it's more of that rather than... you know, we're digging again and again and again, game. Definitely, definitely.
0: Okay, so we're going to move on to a game called Tricetta, which is designed by Stefan Dora and Ralph Zelinde, and it coming from Deep Print Games. And uh, Deep Print Games are one that we've had a bit of success with with things like Savannah Park, etc. In the past, right?
1: Yeah, and that Mean Animal Dominoy game. Yeah, that one. That one. I don't, 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 know. don't know. <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, Trochetta. It, it is a tile game, which is a riff on the Coloretto-Zuloretto drafting system in which there are a number of rows equal to number of players, and you are either going to add a tile to a row or take a row on your turn. There are very six animals in the game, different types, so there's the tiles, and you're trying to get exactly three of each type. So like in all these games, you're trying to... Get a situation where you're not overshooting three, but you're not left with none, and that's how you're going to score your points. It comes in mm-hmm. varied player counts. It plays very similar to that. It's a very simple game, Sean. It's a lovely production, nice tiles and that. Mm. It comes down to, I think, your enjoyment of Triketa, how much you enjoy that sort of a system. And to me, I think player count might be quite important. What are your thoughts on it?
0: I believe you've only played it two-player, is it? Three-player,
1: three-player. Three-player. I've played
0: it five-player. And it was quite interesting in that it was quite nail-biting. Where do I put Who do I set up? When do I take that stack into my hand? You can have two ones that you place down face-down, can't you, over the course of the game, which isn't a lot when it boils down to it. So I felt the five-player game was really enjoyable. And because I bought this one for you and your family at Christmas, and I thought it was a perfect Christmas game. When there's the It's a lot of new... pressure
1: to have to, to give this a rating now.
0: actually <laughs> Well, you bought Marvel's on the side, so I had to, to give that a rating. Didn't, <laughs> but I, that's, that was where I thought it shone at five players. I wasn't sure about it at two or three.
1: Yeah, because there's ten tiles of each animal. It was not that difficult to get sets of three each. <laughs> three, if you like nine, and then the others get thrown away because you you like know, You know, some get left in the bag, and you can use your reserve. Like Sean said, you can, you can reserve two tiles once you draw them. So, um, it was very gentle at three player. I love the system. I love the drafting system. I love the way that those games play. I am chucking it in the bag to play with more players. To hope it gets a bit more cutthroat for the three-player game. I gave it a sixty-four. I enjoyed it, but I can see how it would be a bit too sort of friendly for some people. Mm-hmm. But like I say, I just love that system. I love Zodoretto, I love Col- Coloretto. So more riffs on it, I'm happy.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was it was a nice, easy game to play. It went quickly, and so I give it a seventy at five players. It was a good game. I wasn't jumping up and down, but I really enjoyed my play. So
1: you bought me a game you only rate a 70.
0: Yeah, that's about as much as I like you, to be honest. Might as well kick me in my (laughs)
1: earth, Sean. In my earth. Earth.
0: (laughs) Yes, designed by Maxime Tardif and coming from Inside Up Games. Earth is one that I played quite a while ago, so I had to remind myself of my thoughts for this. But you've played it rather more recently.
1: Well, now. <laughs> <laughs> it was the talk of the town. We all know that. Last springtime, early summer, we couldn't get a lot of copies. Sudden, out of nowhere, huge hit, rated massively highly. Couldn't, and then it became more of a i I found it in a. Oh, in Brighton, I think I found it in the game shop. And picked it up, and I hadn't played it. And then. Come us around to the end of the year, all the end of year lists, and lo and behold, Earth is popping up all over the place. Number ones, number twos, number fours, number three. Everywhere I'm looking in these top ten lists, Earth is everywhere. I'm like, crikey, I'll have to give this one a go. <laughs> Come on, it's time now. My life is invalid as a reviewer about having played Earth. So I've played it, short. Yeah. My life was perfectly valid as a reviewer before having played Earth. Go on, expound. So, in Earth, you get to take cards. How many cards? As many as you like. <laughs> What's the limit? The handsaw? There's lots of cards. A billion. You're gonna have a million cards <laughs> in your hand. It doesn't matter. You have as many cards you like. It just doesn't matter. And then you get to play cards by paying soil, and you're put, gonna put them into a four by four grid. Whoever finishes their sixteen cards first gets seven extra bonus points. Could be vital. You could beat Rachel with those seven points, by the way. I'd just like to point that out. Just in case she listens, she'll remember. And as we were packing away, we remembered that I got several extra points and I won. And, uh, no, that didn't count. Post game points. Anyway, and yeah, you're putting them out. And how are you going to score points? Well, they all inherently have some points, mostly. Some of them have spaces for green cubes called sprouts. They're worth a point each. Some of our spaces for growth, which are trunks you put on there, which are all worth a point each until you get to a limit for that card and they may be worth 1.2 points each or 1.3 points each. You can collect cards into your compost. Every card that you have face down in your compost, which isn't your hand, you can't use them, are worth a point each. Everything's a point each. Then- you have some things on your own board. It's, they're confusingly, they're called like an ecosystem and an island and whatever. And they, one of them gives you a goal. One of them gives you like a bonus power, which are wildly varied in use. Wildly. From situationally, wow, this might happen once in a hundred years too. This helps every second turn. Brilliant. I like that in the game. <laughs> one of gives you a way to score points. You're then going to have four animals, which are shared goals which tell you, you know, I want seven trees. If you have seven trees here, you can have, and there's a race to them, and whoever gets them first gets more points and so on down, or I want six places that have all their growth done, or I want you to have 40,000 sprouts out on your cards, or whatever it might be. And then there are more goals which are shared on the central board, which are very similar to the goals on your individual board. You only have one card that is your individual goals, but there are more central board goals that will tell you if you have six red powers or if you have triggered off four events out of your hand, you get whatever, whatever. It might be. Some of them are per thing. Every three trees score eight points. Yeah. There's all these ways of scoring points. (laughs) And there are four actions, and you choose one of the four actions. And then you get to do a good version of it, and then the next player, get, all the other players, get to do a less good version of it, and then the next player gets to choose an action, and no, they can just choose the same action again if they want to. There's no restriction. Do whatever you want in Earth. It's fine. And during the course of this, if I choose the red power or any cards in my tableau that have got red powers, they also trigger off, and they will put soil which is the only actual resource in the game, and you need Soil in order to play cards out. So that's okay. That mechanism, great. I need Soil to play cards. Fine. Sean, they might give you these compost cards. You get them from choosing the power, and you might trigger off <laughs> your own cards. And all these cards will come off the top of the massive deck and go face down. And what are they worth? Points. One point each. Exactly one point. One point. Yeah. One point. Or they might give you sprouts, Sean. All right? Now, there's Ooh. no change to the mechanism. But that's instead of collecting cards face down, you collect green cubes that go into slots on your cards. And what are they worth again? One point. One point each, correct. Well, they might give you growth, Sean, where you put (laughs) trunks down onto your cards in your tableau. Well, how much is each of those trunks worth, Sean? They're worth one point, mate. They're worth one point, Sean. Do you know what, though? Here's the clever bit. You can spend those things. So I can spend sprouts to get compost or spend compost to get growth or, or spend growth to get compost or I can switch them around so I just give two sprouts back to get four compost. They're all worth the point. Why are they called different things? Why? Am I... I literally
0: wrote down decisions not interesting, lots of cards but the same core principles. They give you a point.
1: <laughs> give me six points and I'll give you ten back. After you've done eight different actions in order to do that. Like, oh, my God.
0: I remember oh God. every round having to count the the, the height of my, my vines and my trees. Like one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. <laughs> every round.
1: And they're the same as the
0: sprouts. <laughs> yeah, And then you've got to count your sprouts. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Not at the end of the game.
1: Every round. <laughs> so, it's got a feeling of certain other games. So it's got a bit of a feeling of Ark Nova with that massive deck and it's it's nature-based and all the cards are unique. But that's the worst bit of Ark Nova. But are they unique? Well, they are unique. They've all got their own name and photo. But are they unique, though, Roman? They
0: they might have their own name, they might have a nice bit of flavour text, but they all do one of three or four things. All of them. At least at Ark Nova, there's, there's some wild variety of what things do and what they give you.
1: I accept that. You're right. So the, it's like the worst bit of Ark Nova, which a game is all right, but I don't love it, but it's all right. I'll play it. The worst bit of it, This this bit is worse. Okay, cool. It's a bit like Wingspan. Collecting your thing and putting stuff on and taking stuff off in order to score points. Only less interesting, less varied, less attractive <laughs> and much more complicated ways of scoring points. Yeah, less streamlined, yeah. It's a bit like Race to the Galaxy. Only it's very difficult to do the timing thing, which you can do in Race to the Galaxy, Galaxy or whatever, whereby, oh, I can choose this action. I can see that you're not set up for it. So I'm going to get a benefit out of it and you're not. Firstly, because... We're all going to have a plethora of red and yellow and blue and green and rainbow colors. So we're all going to get special actions which give us stuff. And then now I have to see why. Oh, if I choose red, what do, what do you get? What do you get? No, no one does that. Everyone goes, I don't get what you get. I'm just taking what I get. And you do what you do. I don't care what's on your tableau. I'm not interested because all I can do is my own thing. So it loses the timing subtlety of Race of Galaxy. Secondly, because everyone is going for the same goals, mostly. You've only got one different, as opposed to the five or six, whatever is on the central tableau. We're all playing the same way. We're all building similar tableaus. It forces you down a similar path, so it's not like you can be like, oh... Oh, you're going heavy trees. Do you know what? Maybe I'll be the flowers person today and I'll try and see how the flower strategy goes. No, because trees are scoring points and flowers aren't this game. So I'm not going to go flowers because I'll have four points at the end of the game. So we're, <laughs> if trees scores points, we're all going trees. If red powers score points, we're all getting red powers. So the game is making us all play very similar, slightly different tableaus, which all do very similar things anyway.
0: Yeah, I concur. I'm I'm actually quite glad you feel this way because I was one of the very few people that didn't like this. I played it twice and got rid of it because I just didn't like it at all. Just too fiddly. Even though you have that follow-on mechanism, I was just playing my own game because, as you said, you're funneled down the same route as everyone else anyway, so why would you need to pay attention to what they're doing? So, yeah, I didn't get on with it at all. I'll give you a score. I would give Earth a 42. (laughs) 42 and what I'll say no no 42 me oh you too yeah (laughs) (laughs) what I'll also say get Forest Shuffle Forest Shuffle is the game Earth should have been it's just a simple card game it's streamlined the cards are interesting you can go down your own path it is so much better than Earth I think Forest Shuffle is a brilliant game Earth not so much
1: I mean Earth is playable I'm only getting so excited because I can't, I can't... Why? Is it so... Like, number one of the year. I'm sorry about the rest of your year. If this was the most fun you had with the game all year. <laughs> what? Under what? And like, do you know what? Part of this is my disconnect to those sort of games where like, the writing the cards are Art over is not an appeal to me. I'd much rather there was a smaller set that was blended and I can find what, you know clever ways of working with this set. Same with um, well, wingspan, I, I quite enjoy wingspan, it's fine, it's a decent game, I, I happen to play it. I don't love it, but obviously, people do love it, and that's fine. What I don't get is though with Earth is maybe it's a step up from wingspan and complexity, and people enjoy that, but but that's not what I'd be looking for on this sort of game. Like, the streamline is what is the good part, not the fiddle. And in Earth, there's an awful lot of info on every card. So it's not like I can pass them immediately either. You, you draw them and you're looking at them, going, "Hold on, uh, yeah, I oh, know, but uh, yeah, but those do score in this game, don't they?" And then, "Hold on, this power, this power, oh uh, yeah, but let me remember, oh yeah, because if I put it next to that, that's the thing that puts sprouts on the thing adjacent to it." So I'm actually having to think a bit, and in the end, like the, the net gain is two more compost every eight. <laughs> I think <laughs> I am. I
0: am definitely one of those people who likes those big fiddly games with lots of different cards. I really like Ark Nova. But the difference is, I'm having fun playing Ark Nova because I'm looking at my cards. I've got like five cards in my hand and they all do something really different. And I'm like, wow, that is a lot of choice. What do I do? This one, i am like, got five cards in my hand. Yeah, they all pretty much do the same. They either lay sprouts or, or tree bits. When did you
1: yeah. ever only have five cards in your hand? <laughs> I was... <laughs> 4,000 cards in my hand. I'm just using the analogy <laughs> with, with Can I compost 300 cards, please? Just get them out. My hand. Like, what the hell is going on? Right,
0: well, there we go. Right, we've piled on poor old Earth a little bit, to, a little bit enough, a little bit enough. What am I talking about? <laughs> <piled> <laughs> <to> <laughs> underneath the <Archie>. <laughs> <Somebody> <laughs> the cheese. Okay, we shall now move on to our top 10 of 2014,
1: shall we? marvelous sean if you ever get a group of gamers around a table preferably four and you feel like you're all getting on a bit too well right Right. and you'd like to have 60 to 90 minutes that's gonna make you all bitterly dislike each other for 10 minutes crack out my number 10 game which is i admit this is a bit of a cheat it's second edition but second edition of medina Now, should I put a second edition in here? I just wanted to highlight how good Medina is. It is a game in which there is a set grid and the game is wide open and you have a set number of blocks of different colours. As soon as someone starts playing on the shared board, that's (laughs) when the possibilities open up because each person can only score each blocks of colour once. But as soon as, for example, I put an orange block in... Anyone else wants to play orange has to add to that block. And there's a timing thing of by, if I don't grab this as my orange now, someone else might, or if I do grab it, they might stitch me up. And there's a path that has to be left around the whole place, which will add points. And there's ways of adding in, and there's ways of adding to the walls and stealing things. Anyway, everything you do is interactive and you have to watch what everyone does. And you have to be thinking about other people's priorities, what blocks they have left by the end, if I grab this orange, like it's terrible, but there's only going to be one worse one left after this, so do I grab it? And the same with all the other colours. It's stinky, it's fighty, it's attacky, it's mean, it's horrible, it's a pure abstract spatial puzzle, but it's very pretty, and it's very fun, and it's very funny, and you just got to go for a little five-minute walk afterwards to so just, like, de-stress, it's all cool. <laughs> but Medina is my number 10. A fabulous, fabulous game.
0: I was trying to think why I've never played this, and you probably explained it perfectly well. That's why I've never yeah, played yeah, this. Because people want their
1: tables intact. That's why.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, too many times I've seen people sitting there just swearing at each other across the table, which is funny to watch, to be fair. <laughs> okay, so my number 10 is a bit of left field here. It's El Gaucho, designed by Ave Di Fula and coming from Argentum Verlag. Oh, Gaucho was one that definitely flew under the red right die. It's a worker placement, but you're placing workers with dice, so there's certain areas that you need a certain combination of dice or certain numbers of dice to go into. You're collecting cattle card. It was a really well-made, no-barrier-to-entry game that was just enjoyable to play. And, yeah, I've, all, I've it's always been one of my favourites, and I just never see it mentioned or played anywhere really but yeah el gaucho
1: i remember el gaucho el gaucho was, was a good game i enjoyed it a lot i remember ellie enjoyed it a lot of the time as well so she Ooh. would have been about 11 so it was yeah. very it was very playable i mean she was like game literally whatever but it was very playable i remember getting out of london aboard, you know sort of maybe as an intro game sometimes to people or people who played a bit yeah. you know here's it, another thing to think about it was thinking than you thought it was going to be
0: yeah it was it was definitely you did have to kind of plan your dice very well to do well at the game and sort of plan your resources and get you to get the right cards into your hand. But yeah, it was it was a good, enjoyable experience and I don't think I ever had anyone didn't enjoy it. So that's why it's on my list.
1: Number nine, Sean. Traitors, just finished its second series, I think, in the UK, has been a huge hit on TV, which is in oh. effect Werewolf on TV. And lots of people have been talking about it. It's brought those sort of games... I know Matthew is you know, quite famous anyway, but bring it even more into the public eye. And I was talking... We were out for a lunch yesterday, and I was talking to my sister and her family, and they play like the odd game here and there, much more no, yeah. like games. And, they were about Werewolf, and they've played Werewolf itself, but with lots of people, and they're in the youth hostel all those people. Mm-hmm. And I said, my number nine, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, is the 15-minute version of that, which is playable incredibly funny you get led by an app through it there is a little bit of uncertainty exactly as to who might be who it is werewolf absolutely condensed down in 15 minutes in 2014 i was deep deep into playing games almost every day. I know, there's not many games of twenty fourteen I never played. There's one gonna go up in the BG top ten, which I'm trying to fix tomorrow and try and get played. But anyway, we played this dozens and dozens as dozens of time as a filler, while you're waiting for dinner, while you're having dinner, whatever, with all sorts of groups of people. It was a huge hit. It's fallen away a bit recently. We don't play so many sort of social deduction games. They were to us they were in their height back then. But one night ultimate werewolf If you're looking for one of these social deduction games which is quick and driven and uh, less about shouting at each other but trying to work out an actual little deduction thing with some uncertainty, Mm -hmm. One Night Ultimate Werewolf is brilliant.
0: Yeah, I've played a few games myself. I really enjoy it. Isn't it Eric Summers, the voice on the app?
1: Yes, he is.
0: I yeah I like it I think it's a I think it's a good game it's, I'm not what a massive one for this social deduction games but this is definitely one that I will play and um, I have enjoyed so yeah good shout so my number nine I don't know if you'll remember this one Ronan it's another little funny one it was a Kickstarter it's called Fallen designed by Tom Green the third and Stephen Smith from Watchtower Games and Fallen was a two player game one of you was the the dungeon master, storyteller, and the other one was the adventurer. And it was all about sort of telling the story, putting the right creatures in, and the adventurer making really some really cool key decisions. And it really vary and what decision you make would really twist and turn the plot to the point where it was always an exciting experience. And I got into it so much but I haven't played it for a little while now, but I do remember having some wonderful moments and some wonderful stories emanating from the process.
1: When I was looking through my ratings, I saw it as it would be good enough to be rated, yeah, when you're going through this in your 80s, you're like, yeah, this was the the wider pool. There was a lot of games in the wider pool from 24. (laughs) (laughs) There
0: was, there really was.
1: And I didn't, Remember, yeah, for, for depth of gaming, maybe it's like because we were gaming so much that year, whatever, but for depth of gaming, there's a lot of very good games this year. So I didn't remember it. And then obviously once I saw the name, I thought about it. I went, oh, yeah, that was really good. I remember playing it around your house uh, in, in London and having proper crack with it. It's just the fact that it's been completely off the radar for so long that yeah. I didn't include it in this list. So it's going to be in my top 20 of the year. For the good memories, but I didn't remember it well enough to be able to say, yeah, it'll make my top (laughs) ten. But it's it's a good choice, and I would love to see what it's like now. Cool. Right, you're number eight. My number eight is, to me, mechanically the best ever Legendary game of all the releases they've had of, of 007 and Marvel and Buffy and all the other ones. Legendary Encounters Alien. They brought out the encounter system, which was much more structured as to how it went. It's a co-op game, it's very hard, and Alien was just the perfect, perfect theme for it. In that cards can creep up on you face down, you've got to scan them, you've got to work together, you're in real peril. You can get face huggers, which means you've only got one cycle for your deck left, and if you do something spectacular in order to save yourself. It brought in the sergeant system, which became Maria Hill in Marvel Legendary because it worked so well. It just took the system and structured it into a much more consistent, fun way of playing, and they've never found another theme that fits it so well. So my number eight for 2014 is Legendary Encounters Alien.
0: Have you ever played the X-Files version?
1: Yes, with you.
0: I think the X-Files version really lends itself to the theme because you've got the people hidden in the shadows behind the scenes. Uh, you've got on earth, these sort of the monster or the mythic of the of the week and all the cards are very thematic in what they do, so Eugene whatever he's name, cocoons people and jumps out and what have you. I would like to play Aliens now that I have experienced X-Files and enjoyed X-Files, because my initial plays of, of the alien version of Legendary Encounters, I didn't really get on with, but maybe because I expected it to be like legendary. And it wasn't. And there was things that, other things going on. But now that I'm used to the system, I'd like to try and play the Aliens one because I think I would enjoy it more now.
1: I enjoyed the X-Files with you guys, but I only played it once. So I couldn't say it was, you know, compared to the number of times I've played Alien, Yeah, that, that's yeah, why it's yeah. you know clear. But I did obviously enjoy it and the X-Files theme for us our age group, now the rest of it, we were all obviously X-Files obsessed back in the day. So it was great fun going back to it with that system. But alien, I've just played it to death. Oh yeah, I've got all the expansions and the rest of it. I just, I love it.
0: Cool. Right. My number eight is Istanbul from Rudiger Dawn and Pegasus Spiel. Istanbul is just all about planning a path around all the various buildings in Istanbul and picking up resources. But, being economic in your planning and what you pick up and to get to do only yourself points I really enjoyed that planning aspect of of the game where you're you're laying out your trails you're kind of like oh not a man car but you're laying you're laying tiles as you go so you can only go so far before you have to go back that way and pick up all your assistants and stuff so it's an economic game I'm always gonna love those I felt it's like quite a quite cheerful. It wasn't overly taxing. I I enjoyed myself playing this one. There were decisions. They weren't the meatiest of decisions, but they were there and it made a difference how you planned things and how you went about things and there was enough about it. I think I would chuck in the expansions now to give it that little bit of extra oomph. But for me, uh, Istanbul has is, is always been a favourite of mine. So that's why it's now my number eight of the year.
1: Yeah, you always liked this more than me. I think... Yeah, I
0: did. I know you weren't a big fan.
1: No, I think it was decent. Again, a game I'm happy to play, but I probably wouldn't ask for. Uh, You liked it. Some other friends around me liked it. I played it plenty of times. Like I say, it was always a decent game. I was never not having fun, but not one I'd ever ask for. Fair enough. My number seven is my weird one, Sean, that you'll probably never see reprinted. It's from Istari. It's called Witness. It's based on a Belgian comic a detective comic, but the way the game works, you hate it. (laughs) (laughs) The way the game works is there is some deduction to be done. However, before you get to the point of having a discussion between the four of you, it's exactly a four-player game, and working out to solve this mystery, whatever it may be, each of you individually gets a piece of information, and depending upon how hard the scenario is, depends on how intricate that piece of information is, because there are different levels, and then you must whisper it to the next person along, The next person along is then going to, on the next round, pass that information on to the next person, to the next person. So by the time you get some information, it's gone through two other sets of ears. (laughs) You're getting it third hand, but some you know immediately. And then you've got to start answering questions. And you start misremembering the bit of information that you had initially, (laughs) never mind the ones that you've had whispered round to you. So it's about communicating effectively, listening. The funny thing is the fact that whenever you hear a bit of information that's three sentences long. Your brain does shortcuts and clicks into what you assume that means and then you pass it on. And it's very, very difficult. I mean, like, clear communication is very important in the jobs that Sean and I do. So you'd think we'd be good at it. But even for us, it's really difficult to get exactly what was said in the right order. And I just find it a lot, a lot of fun. You have to accept another one that people are just going to be shouting at you sometimes afterwards to go, that is not what I said to you, you idiot. But... To me, that's always done with a laugh and a fun and a, this is so hard. It shouldn't be this hard, but it is. And when you get it well, as a team, it's such a sense of achievement to do something very simple as pass on a message. So, but it's, and after that, of course, there's the deduction the deduction bit as well which kind of added that layer on top of it to turn it into an actual game which is really interesting so witness to me an odd one but a unique almost gaming experience you need to be somewhere quiet you need to have four people who want to play it and want to do this listening and whispering but when you get all that it's brilliant the reason i didn't like it is because i physically
0: can't play it i'm too deaf i literally (laughs) hey hey what what'd you say (laughs) So, I, I have memories of Caitlin whispering me. She almost had to tell the room before I could hear what she was saying to me, which kind of defeats the whole point of the game. Because I'd go to turn to the next to Ellie and she'd go, yeah, I heard.
1: <laughs> Interesting so, yeah. seeing her pudgy little hands wrapped around your neck trying to strangle you out which she was about seven. <laughs> so...
0: That was why I didn't get on with it. I just found it frustrating because I couldn't hear anything. I was too deaf to play it. I actually think it's a a decent game in there, but yeah, not for me. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) My my number seven is going to upset Ronan by the the sheer fact that it's my number seven and not further up. It's Patchwork. Uwe Rosenberg and coming from Lookout. Patchwork is one of those games. Rosenberg... Is really hit and miss for me. But when he hits, he hits hard, and patchwork is one of his genius creations. I'm right up there with your Agricolas and what have you. Patchwork, such a simple premise, building a patchwork quilt with polyominoes pieces. So interactive, in like because you, are you're hoping that people leave things for you, and where you are on the time board de- deliberately affects or definitely affects what to, what all the things go in, so you don't want to jump ahead of people because then they go next. So it's so much tactical play within such a small framework or patchwork that I think it's a brilliant game. So patchwork's my number seven.
1: Yeah, but I think it probably got overdone with all the thematic ones and all the rest of it. It's probably, probably played out by now. Yeah, 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 is it? <laughs> number six. Shadowrun Crossfire. Now, the team behind the whole Shadowrun IP, I can't remember even the name of the company, but they have done a shocking job with their IP over the years. They've got this world which is kind of cyberpunky mixed with magic, it's fantasy, but in the future. You've got a whole audience of board gamers willing to play games in that, like, we're ready, we're ready. Man, they just keep messing it up. they do though they keep promising the world and delivering nothing they keep saying games will come out and then they're half finished the one thing that they did well and this is the game that they directed to Dragonfire the D&D one which I didn't like as much is Shadowrun Crossfire but they marketed it and supported it so poorly and the system I'll get the system in a second but what it is is a co-op game it works best for four players but you can adapt it in which each of you has a specific role within the team and you're you're dodgy. You're a you're dodgy characters. You're, you're on the edge of the law and you're going to do a mission always against baddies and it's, it's gone wrong whatever the mission is. So, so that bit is kind of the first two sentences of whatever's going on. What you're trying to do now is respond to the fact that everyone else is coming after you and get out. So you're trying to support each other. You're trying to play cards. You've got weapons. You've got spells. You've got healing powers. You get adversaries that come out specifically to each of the players but there are ways to manipulate them and freeze them and send them later in order and you can each always attack each other's one so as a team you have to talk to each other and you have to I can't survive this next attack so can we freeze him by talking around to me can you take him away shall we all concentrate the way you fight against them is that these basic power you can use and every card attacks will give you power but there's also the specific colours of power that you're going to have to do so if something requires you know Has got a weakness for magic, it will have a lot of blue targets on it that you. And that's the, the colour of magic. And then you're looking for your spellcaster to help you out with this one. But also you need to be slightly flexible within your deck. You get dual colour cards. you got a money system. Every time you defeat something, you get more money. And instantly when you take a card, it goes straight into your hand. So you immediately feel more powerful. And you can save up to get like the amazing sniper rifle, which when you fire it off, will take like four rows and just kill someone. And you just feel powerful. You feel like a team. You're communicating. It's really difficult one of the major things they did wrong with this is that they keep producing board games that are paced for role players. And you see that a lot in IPs. Like they just did it with Divinity Original Sin. Lorien did it, where it's supposed to be a very, very good board game. But the pacing's too slow because role-playing groups are the same people meeting up again week after week after week and they expect... This is the traditional way. After months, you know, you're getting to the end of a story. That's not the board gaming pace. And that's the problem with Shadow Shadowrun Crossfire is the development is too slow. So your characters can get special powers. There was only one base scenario. And then in order to get to the second scenario, you probably had to play the base scenario 10 times. And people are, that's not what board gamers do. I want to be a scenario to the second time I play it, more or less. That's all been adapted. That's all been messed around with. You can play it if you want. Just give yourself upgrades. They haven't made it easy for you. But if you get into Shadowrun Crossfire, I feel like I'm on a bit of a preaching mission here. If you get into (laughs) Shadowrun Crossfire, it is one of the best, truly cooperative card games that you must work together in. It's a lot of fun, a great setting. There's lots of cards available. Do it. It's a marvellous game.
0: I must have played it in in its early iteration when it was too pedestrian. It was very slow, very fiddly for what it was. I couldn't really get into the storyline. I didn't care. And you you preached to me quite often about this one, and you were really excited for me to play it. And I felt like I, I felt like I was letting you down, but I just couldn't get
1: on with it. You. you just don't like these sorts of games. You don't love Marvel Champions. It's it's, it's this thing of using cards, you mm, know, maybe, together. Yeah. You just you can't be arsed. You want to play your own game.
0: I do. <laughs> okay, my number six. I know you don't like this one. <laughs> it's Colt Express for Christoph Rambo. And Ludo Court Express, is a a planning game where you're robbing a train, you're bank robbers or train robbers, robbing a train, and you're pre-programming your moves, and anything can happen because you're interspersing those programmed moves so that I might climb upstairs and try and shoot Ronan, and where he was, he might have gone downstairs and tried to shoot me, and all of a sudden we're shooting two different people, and you're trying to pick up loot, I think it's a brilliant game to introduce new people who are not not familiar with the hobby. A really good party game. We have a a regular group who we play this with and we have just such a good time. A few beers, have an absolute laugh about it. Don't really care who wins, who loses. And that's the type of game it is for me. And I've always had fun with Cold Express.
1: It's fine. (laughs) It's complete chaos. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and you know, do you want to sit down for forty-five minutes of complete chaos where you have very little control over everything, and you know, one turn of a card might negate all your other cards you've played that turn? You are basically going, I'm doing nothing. Cool, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah, not like yeah. it, yeah. Really and everyone mocks
0: you for it, and it's fun, yeah, <laughs> and you don't yeah, care
1: because yeah. you've got a beer. But in there. I know, I mock you if you've made a mistake. If like the game just decides that right, all this other plan now is nothing. Then, you know. <laughs> It's
0: fine. (laughs) You're number five.
1: My number five is... I love the Pandemic system. You hear me talk about different Pandemics quite often. Mm -hmm. Pandemic the Cure is the dice game version, which I think got very overlooked. It does not play similarly to Pandemic. It has its own rhythm. I think people find it very difficult quite often when they start playing because you've got to switch your mind. Each of the characters has got their own role. Each role has got its own set of custom dice, which I think especially for the time was quite innovative. There is a spatial aspect to it, but it's less important than within pandemic. It is much more, again, this keeps coming up about working as a team and making sure that you're setting everyone else up and while you're, same as pandemic, while you're concentrating on trying to win the game, don't lose it. Make sure you're not letting certain things get out of control. And there's a pattern to how everything works, and the disease are dice too, but they can only roll certain numbers. There's like six continents you're trying to control, but only certain diseases will appear in certain areas with weightings of probability where they may go. So you, although it's a dice game, you're on dice to where disease appears, it's not completely random, and you can prepare, especially spatially, to, to be in the right place in order to deal with things the problem is, I think, that the better you're playing, the more everything gets under control. And when you first play it, it can get out of control very quickly. And even when you're good at it, it can get out of control very quickly and you can lose a game quickly. And maybe people have run into that brick wall and thought, oh, this is too harsh or too hard. I don't enjoy it. But the better you get, the more control you have. I think it's a brilliant riff on the Pandemic system. And it's my number five. 2014 Pandemic The Cure.
0: I remember you bring this out and getting me to play it, and it was in the middle of when I really didn't get on with Pandemic. I've since changed my mind, and I quite like Pandemic now, but it was definitely in one where I was rebelling against all things Pandemic, and you said, no, no, play it. It's not like Pandemic. So I played it, and I was pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I do, I do. I couldn't tell you how it plays and what you do, but I do remember it's when the little things and make, you make a circle of the little tiles, is it?
1: Yeah, and then the circles yeah. for how bad it's getting for the outbreaks and circles for your cure. Yeah, it's all... It's got yeah, like
0: yeah, a, I, remember, I remember really enjoying it. So, quite a pleasing yeah, physical like product
1: good. as well. Was quite, quite, you
0: know... Mm. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, good job good job thanks, thanks. Okay, my number five is one of my economic favourites. It is a La Granja designed by Michael Keller and... André Oldenhal and coming from Spielworks originally So La Grande Heart is all about building up your farmstead you've got these cards that are, that are multifaceted in, in what you can do with them you can play them for extra resources, you can play them for special powers, you can play them. There's lots of different things you can do with the card. You have to really think about each card and where you play it and how you play it. And you're going to get resources and turn resources into other things. Everything I like about a good economy game, done well with that that added bit of flavour in that the, the decisions you're making each each turn can really channel into what you're doing for the rest of the game so La Granja one of my favourites
1: yeah quite surprisingly this isn't in the top 10 for the year really yeah it's ranked two, three, three on BGG but you had to be in the top 170 to get in the top 10 for this year wow which suggests what what a strong year year it was (laughs) it's not in my top 10 it's uh, because I went further down when I was writing it it it's my number 16 the only reason it didn't make the upper echelons is it was slightly too much for me slightly too fiddly there was an awful lot to consider the four uses of the cards and then the market also being very important where you went it was just a tiny bit too slow and too much for me but it's still rated very highly it's my number 16 of a very strong year so don't get me wrong that's the only thing that kept it from top top level top top level sean is going to have this in his next four. I'm, I'm absolutely sure, so I'm not going to talk about it much. <laughs> it's Steffenfeld, Feld, it's Underwater, and we'll talk about it.
0: Oh, what an aquasphere. <laughs> I love a party. <laughs> I
1: wasn't going to give it away. What's your number four?
0: <laughs> My number four. Another one you don't like. Well, another one that you say is, quite quite rightly you say, is fragile. It is Dead of Winter, Jonathan Gilmore, Isaac Vega, coming from Plaid Hat Games. Dead of Winter is all about story. It's how you are surviving a zombie apocalypse and you're in a commune and you are having forays out into the town to get weapons, to get supplies, to get to do tasks. And basically you're trying to survive. There is a potential to have a traitor in your midst that is trying to scupper everything that you are trying to do or your group is trying to do. When it hits, when you've got the right people around the table and the story hits, it is a brilliant experience. When it doesn't hit, it can be a bit frustrating. And I will completely admit that. It's quite a fragile framework, but if you have the right people there, it hits more often than not. And we've always said this about each other. Ronan would prefer something to be steady and hit, 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 hit. Not even a great hit, but like a reasonable hit whereas I will take the misses for the highs. So Dead of Winter has long been one of my favourite games for those highs.
1: Yeah, my issue is it's a long teach and it it's hard for people to get the rhythm of the game and it's hard to win. So when you throw a traitor in as well, that all adds up to far too many misses for me. So for me, if I was ever going to teach it again, it would just be played as co-op. You're trying to find a balance thereof. For gamers, is a cult game of Dead or Winter good enough? Not sure. But people have got to know the system for the whole Traitor thing to work at all. Because yeah. it's yeah. so hard. It's hard to win this game, and you're so fragile. And literally, every yeah. time you try and move, are you, you're more than one person, you're two or three people, but every time you try and move one of them, just roll the die, you might be dead. Boom, that's it is very unforgiving. Now, unforgiving within the game, that's cool, that makes sense. When I've spent 45 minutes teaching this game and you're trying to get your head around it and you've just worked out after the first time we needed food and we didn't have any and everything went tits up, you go, oh no! And I'm feeling like, you know what, that's gone so poorly originally, we're, we've lost this game already and then you just die <laughs> from the roll of a dice. It's too much. You know, yeah, cool. Six of us sit down, we all know Dead of Winter, we're, we're probably going to have a good time. Finding that is very difficult. So I think yeah, the journey to yeah. get there is too hard. Another one, Sean, is ahead of Le Grand Hurt, but it's not in the top 10. Really? Yep.
0: There you go. There you go. Right. Top three, Country Road. What's your number three?
1: Time for me to annoy you, Sean. Oh. And the game that's been popping <laughs> up in that Dice Tower Top 100 I see quite often, the glorious, beautiful card management game, Abyss. <laughs> Yeah, sure that was Sean hissing rather than deflating, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, <Bit of>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a card collection game in which there are many layers of cards, but basically there's five different colours, and you're drafting them, and from those you can use them to purchase what are called lords. And each Lord will give you a different way of scoring points, and some of them will give you a different power. And there's a couple of different mechanisms within there. And by collecting certain Lords or certain keys by doing things, you get to get lands, which will give you ways of scoring points in the game. And you're driving a lot of your own point scoring. It's interactive. Everyone has to pay attention every round, because quite often there's an interactive draft going on. There's a currency of pearls. The first expansion adds black pearls, which are negative, which adds a twist to it and a bit more. And I love the first expansion. Second expansion, I think, is terrible. Don't go near it. Z, you're wrong. (laughs) But for me, it keeps coming back. It keeps being a hit. It's beautiful ahead of its time in how good it is and it looks. And Abyss is a constant, constant hit with lots of people, apart from Sean.
0: No, I think Abyss is a bit of a Marmite game. I know lots of people that hate it and I know lots of people love it. So, yeah. I, when what, I've taught it, it's
1: been it. a hit with lots and lots and lots of people apart from Sean.
0: <laughs> I have long, long hated this. Roland's making obscene gestures to me. I just, I've just, just had never had any fun playing this. I can't even remember why now because I refuse to play it anymore. But I just remember being thoroughly miserable playing
1: it. You're just being honorary. You have no reason for this. You're just like making me <laughs> sad. Move on.
0: Moving on. My number three is The Ancient World by Ryan Lalcat and Red Raven Games. Now, this has been re-implemented into The Ancient World 2, but it didn't really change enough to make it a completely different game. It was just a s- slight tweak here and there. So in the ancient world absolutely staff with the gorgeous artwork, absolutely stunning. But I just love the the worker placement aspects of it. The the set collection where you're collecting the different colours and the different banners and you're trying to defeat these giant titans that are coming to attack your your villages and your cities. And it's just a worker placement done done really well. Lots of choices, lots of avenues, lots of things that you can think about. And I still think this is Laukert, Ryan Laukert's best game that he's made. It was one of his early ones as well. So that's The Ancient World, number three.
1: I don't know what this game is. It doesn't exist to me. Because <laughs> you're upset with him always making a, a second one. I note. don't know what you're This game doesn't exist. I can't see it anyway.
0: Oh, okay. Right, yeah. Right, got you. Right, yeah. Moving on. Was What's your, <laughs> your Damnation right?
1: Memory or something where they excise <laughs> the Emperor from the records? Just even call it something else in the second edition. Don't put it right in my face. He's <laughs> so annoying. I don't care what anyone says. That is so annoying. Number two was a huge hit for my gaming group when it first came out. It almost came out of nowhere. No fanfare. The design didn't have that big of a name. Quartermaster General. Yeah. The World War II game where best played with six players three on each side, three actors, three allies, which each side has got their own deck of cards, their own setup, their own priorities, their own special powers, their own things they can do and can't do, their own traps they can lay, and each game will develop uniquely, and you have to play together, and you have to play a support role in certain ways, make sure you're going after your own goals, there's flexibility in what you can do, it's just a fabulous team game which I hadn't played for a while and was probably slipping down a bit and then a couple of eSpawns ago I got a game of it back in again and just you know when you've forgotten how good a game is and then you play it and you go oh I forgot like I knew I thought it was a good game I forgot how good Quartermaster General is and what <laughs> crack he can have and the abuse and all the rest of it and the pressure. I was playing as America and I've rarely played as America before, and the need to support Europe while also trying to keep Japan in check, and I did it very badly, and we lost by quite a lot, and it was probably my fault, I'll admit it. But I had a storming time doing it, and it's just yeah. Quartermaster General. And I mean, they have done everything they can to rinse the name of this dry. I see there's another one. <laughs> Quartermaster General Eastern Front has just come out in the UK now. And I mean, they put expansions on this and alternate universities and different conflicts and they, they took it to the, the, the Greek war, the Dacian League and all that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Quartermaster General, the original, not even with Air Marshal, that didn't add too much, just the... Base game is glorious. And my number two is 2014.
0: Probably my number 11 of the year. Just missed out for me. I, I do actually think it's a really good game. I think you do have to have the right people around. You can't have. It's going to be saying horrible. You can't have any weak links. You can't have anyone that's not really. Why, why are you pointing into, at me? <laughs> You can't have anyone who's not really understanding of and leaning into their country or faction's powers and the way they do things, because they do play thematically, and you kind of have to lean into that a little bit, but when everyone's hitting their mark and everyone's on song, it's such a to and fro game, tactical masterpiece, I think it is, and it's a lot of fun, and it's very rare you get that many people around the table all having an input and having fun at the same time, so... Yeah, good good choice, Reiner. I think if I'd have played it more, it would have been higher up the list.
1: Very good. Sometimes you show sense. Let's see how your
0: number two is. <laughs> so my number two for 2014 is Orléans from Reiner Stockhausen and, and DLP Games. Orléans is the well, one of the original bag-building games where you are obviously pulling things from a from bag and then that sets up what you can do for that round. You are travelling around a map, you're gathering resources, you're building houses, you're doing lots of different things with those things that you pull out, you're going up tracks, the scoring is quite unique in that you, you're multiplying one bit by another bit the houses, by how far you go up the prayer track, and yeah, it's it's long time, long, long time being one of my favourites. It's dropped to number two, because I think every year... I know, and got, I'm shocked. Yeah. I know, I thought you would be because I think I've just played it so much I'm getting a little bit bored I do have the expansions and I really do need to delve into them a little bit to to breathe some some life into this game because I, I have played it so much it's, it's, it's on a back burner now I'm not going to play it for a while because I want to rediscover it again maybe in a year or two when I, when I bring it back out to the table but Orleans is a really well done game and possibly the best bag builder out there
1: yeah, I've never loved it as much as you have. I think it is a very good game. I feel a little bit restricted when I play it, and maybe that's me. I feel like also I'm very bad at it, and that's definitely me. <laughs> so it is my number 14, but still a very good game. A couple of plays that could put it in my top 10. I enjoy it a lot, and I'm always happy to play it. I, I, yeah, generally, I think it's my incompetence that just knocks it down a little bit. <laughs> right. My number one of the year... I mean, we spoiled each other's number one the year, so we might as well just get this done. (laughs) Patchwork is amazing. It is possibly the best two-player game ever I've done. I can't remember what's up there. It is so clean. It is so smooth. It is so tough. It is interactive. You can be super, super mean. There are different ways to play. You have to react to what becomes available to you. As you get better at it, more of it unveils. We are now into the level of looking three, four, five moves ahead to each other and being thoroughly horrible to each other, Rachel and I. But we've both played it that amount, so it suits us absolutely amazingly. When we get this out, we know that it is going to be half an hour of tough fighting over a quilt in the second best way it possibly could be. So Patchwork (laughs) is my number one game of 2014. It is glorious.
0: It's a very, very good game. And, obviously, my number one is... Oh, what an Aquasphere. I love a party with a happy also,
1: Aquasphere. our number ones are the only two crossovers in our top tens.
0: Oh, really? Yep. I think Aquasphere wins, though, because yours was slightly higher than Patchwork.
1: Well, no, you see, <laughs> Patchwork wins because I chose it as number one.
0: <laughs> is that... Oh, ah, yeah. oh, you got me again. You missed that Anyway, Aqu- <laughs> Aquasphere is... Steffenfeld, Feld, uh, one of his very best. Steffenfeld Feld is probably my favourite designer out there. And when I say this is one of his very best, that shows you how much I really enjoy this game. It's all about pre-planning. You're in an underwater base and it's all about pre-programming your moves. But when you go up one path, you lock yourself out of another path. So you have to be very careful about your planning. As it says Steffenfeld, point salad extraordinaire. There's points coming in from everywhere. The barrier is in you have to get these black crystals, I can't remember what they're, supposed carbon or something, that stop you advancing to the next scoring area, so you have to have them. But, I think, yeah, I just think it's such a clever game. I don't always like pre-programmed games. Like Lords of Ziddick, I absolutely hate it. But, this idiot, in, in idiot, this what, why, what?
1: that's the 15th best game of 2014, what <laughs> are you picking it's on not. that for, I it's a despise very good despise game, that game. weirdly themed in the Dixit universe but a very good game
0: <laughs> it's not, but Aquasphere yes, yeah, uh, failed right at the tip top of his game and my favourite game of 2014
1: you're right, this is, right, as we delve into the layers of the Felderverse Getting closer and closer <laughs> to the overwrought hell that sits at the bottom of it. This is the last layer I'll go to. This is where my protection suit starts to run out. <laughs> I think, so it's got lots of things, like I said, lots of things going on. You've got to get the crystals, you've got to wipe the octopods off, you've got to manage your time, you've got a robot going around this thing. You got Your movement is incredibly difficult to do. Oh, fantastic. But I think the difference in this is they're all small numbers. So I imagine there's three of those, I need to get it down to one. Not 17 of those to go to 48 of them to get it back down to two of them. <laughs> and genuinely, I think the small numbers both creates that feeling of intensity, creates the we always you say weirdly thematic because it feels claustrophobic. Everything things <laughs> feels- small and tight and you're under pressure you know bottom of the sea that sort of thing rather than dealing in tracks where i'm going up to 21 and back down to three and up to 402 yeah. and and that that feeling and that ability to make small numbers to me allows me to concentrate on what i'm trying to do rather than just doing maths all the time which i'm not a great fan of i don't mind doing it but i'd rather not i'd rather deal with twos and threes than the
0: <laughs> and- yeah, weirdly for a Felt, it, it, there is quite a bit of interaction because you are racing for things and you are trying to set yourself up to get things first, but you're also bumping each other out of the queues when you place your robots in, in the areas on in the submarine or the submergible, whatever it is. So you're one of, one of the more interactive Felt games.
1: Right. I was just looking at my... Uh, yeah, cool. No, don't worry what I was looking at. Let's move on.
0: <laughs> Go on, are you going to tell us the... The top 10 or whatever, however far down you're going to go of 2014 as per BGG.
1: Yes, I am. You've got three crossovers and I've got two, although I've got two more in my next seven. Well, we won't talk about that because that's cheap. <laughs> Number 10, Istanbul. No, no I'm, I'm editing that out. And I'm going to leave me saying no, I'm edit that out. and everyone want to know what you just did. <laughs> Idiot. Number nine, Legendary Alien. Fair enough. Number eight, two-player card game which was a follow-up to hero realms star realms did you ever play it yes i did play it it was fine
0: yeah i've the app on
1: my phone yeah quick yeah, fine. quick fly them down yeah. i mean they tried to do a lot with it there's all kinds of different things going on now huge boxes of it but yeah number seven was highly rated from the time it came out a heavy euro and i never really got on with it alchemists I I really liked it when I
0: first because it had the app it was one of the first games that had an app wasn't you're it? correct yeah. and you, you were combining all the different potions to make different things and it, it felt really clever but what I realised it wasn't really a game there it was all a bit of a gimmick I felt
1: I just you were just guessing a lot or I was terrible yeah. at it one <laughs> of the two probably okay number okay. six to me clearly an inferior riff on a great game Roll for the Galaxy.
0: I, got, I always quite liked Roll for Galaxy. It's, no, it's not Race for the Galaxy, but I always thought it had its place and I quite enjoyed
1: my games of it. Nah, not for me. Number five, Well no. should be number one, Patchwork. Only number five? I thought that would be number mm. one. Number four, another Rosenberg game. Can you think? Another two. Oh, part. yeah, it's uh, Fiel- Fields of Isla. It, it is Fields of Isla, which was my number I have not played it. My number 13. I think there's it's a bit feast for Odin in that there's lots of right and things you can do. It's a very clever system. You're playing two seasons and the your actions you could do change between the two seasons. Mm-hmm. It's a bit feels of Odin in that there's loads of things you can choose to do. You do block each other out, it's only a two player game. There's loads of different ways to go. And weirdly, though, to me, the games are like that tiny bit of samey to stop it being like a top, top, top game for me. I feel like it's I'm one doing of this. Rachel's favourites, isn't it? <laughs> Rachel likes it, but she very rarely asks for it because it, it is a task. Every yeah. time you start, it's hard to get going. It's like, I don't have anything. I know I'm going to end up with stuff in the end, but it is like a, a bit of a grind to get through. Very mm-hmm. good game. I'm making it sound like it's a bad game. It's a very, very good game. That's like the only sort of breaks upon it. Number three was a huge hit when it came out. I was sure it was going to be a flash in the pan. I'm like, there's not that much to this. It's a nice production, but it's not that good. But, chose why I know, Five Tribes.
0: Yeah, I'd never got on with Five Tribes. It's fine. Before. It was one of those games that if if the person, was it the person to your left or right was rubbish, then you'd get left on. Yeah, the they could
1: though. set you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It wasn't one for me. Never, never one for me. I never
1: understood the the buzz. Number two is the game that I haven't played on this list, and the one that actually I was thinking I might ask Lloyd if we can play it tomorrow. It's well I've been desperate to play for ten years. I can't believe it's ten years, and I've always wanted to play it. And I've never got a game of Imperial Assault. Have oh, you? Yeah. I've played it a couple of times. Oh, have you? Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, I'm I owned it for a short time. <laughs> I've played it. I tried. I traded it away, but I remember playing with Nathan. I remember Nathan striking lucky and bought a load of Star Wars figures, and they were the exact figures that were in the period of assault, all but all painted. <laughs> it was, good. It was good. It was uh, yeah. It was, it was typical fantasy flight of its time.
1: Man, I really want to play it now. And the number one, I mean, you've betrayed the people, Sean. I can't believe you let them down so badly. Go on, Ulion. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Hugely popular, still going, still every now and then getting expansions. There was the...
0: Plague version or something like that.
1: And also Succession. the Joan of Arc one that we played. Oh, yeah,
0: the Roland Wright that we played and that never played
1: again. Ago. <laughs> it's still going very strong. It is, it is a very, very good Euro game. Don't get me wrong, I'm just bad at it. And Sean obviously loves it, although he's, he's betrayed it horribly.
0: Horribly, dropping it to number
1: two. Yeah, like Right. 2014 feels to me... Like a classic year of gaming, one of those cornerstone <laughs> years of gaming over my years mm. of playing, where I just feel like great game after great game after great game came out. There's other ones that never came up that I listed: Meteor, the weird co-op game. Remember, we're trying to make oh, that was fun. Launch. That yeah, was fun. yeah, that was fun. Level Seven Invasion, it's a bit of a never weird one, it. where it was um, it's a Level Seven story where originally you were escaping a prison. That was a terrible game. Then there was a one versus many tactical shooty game which was very good and from that came this big board game where it's an alien invasion of earth led by this mad scientist who's the baddie throughout all three games and you'll go around oh. having to get alien tech and stop the aliens from, from landing in different areas but also chasing oh. him around and make sure to stop whatever he's, he's trying to make his doomsday machine sort of thing big huge sprawling dramatic game I loved it I think you'd love it we should probably play it and the other one that never came up in conversation was Greed the yeah, I've X- got
0: grid. Well, it was on. It was on my top twenty. I've also got criteria or, or Ah, oh, yeah, I've only
1: played it once. I loved it, but I've only played it once. Yeah, uh,
0: Hyperborea. Another bag builder but slightly yeah. different. I like that.
1: Never got on with that.
0: One uh, we played together, Scoville. Uh, well, was, was under consideration. Very
1: good, but again, I haven't played it enough. I see someone got... Oh, Luke Pryor just got it this week. He's very excited. Yeah, he got it from me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he oh. bought it from me. <laughs> okay, fair enough.
0: And what else have I got? Did you ever play the kids game from um, Gameworks, which was uh, outfoxed? No. Uh, it was a really good kids game. Uh, we have to try and figure out who'd stolen the, the pie, the apple pie or something. I was actually and looking...
1: Rachel was looking at um, kids' games for her nephew, and that one came Ooh. up, but I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't recommend it. It's
0: really good. It's a really good game. you just got to decipher, like, by little clues and the deduction, who, who stole the pie, before the fox gets away to this fox, fox den. Why are you pointing at You. You stole all the pie. Ah! Of course I did. And the other, the other one, I don't think you've ever played it, but I think you might have bought it for me was the Witcher, the Witcher, the adventure game, the Fantasy Flight Witcher
1: game. Now, you're going to have to really clarify which Witcher game this is.
0: It's none of the ones that came out recently, obviously, because it came out in 2014.
1: Uh, How many Witcher games are there?
0: (laughs) Now, there are billions. When that came out, it was the only one. (laughs) Did I ever play it with you? I I think I did. Going on adventures, doing tasks, going to, travelling around doing you yeah
1: kind of the whole Witcher theme show but I just not I'm not it's well, never I like a bit of the Witcher no I, know, I, like I don't know I don't know
0: why it just I just leaves me a bit cold I'm a bit uh, yeah. oh, one big one that did come out was Castles of Mad King Ludwig
1: that you needed players who understood the system otherwise it was incredibly frustrating because they'd put Ooh. like tiles that were worth loads of points to someone and they'd just like, oh, I don't really know throw it out and you're like no i'm just gonna put them in the prices as i draw them that's the fairest <laughs> way so that that induced rage it
0: did induce rage <laughs> you're right never quite suburbia-esque but i still quite enjoyed it and i ended up buying the special version for herself she was always a big fan
1: of it the special version you get the special version uh, head shake there anything else going
0: down No, that's it for me.
1: I can tell you something. We had to pause recording there very briefly, or twice. Once, because the cat was getting taken to the vet and was screaming the house down. (laughs) But the second one was Seventh Citadel, I'm pretty sure, just turned up.
0: Is that that what it was? I believe so. I I haven't played the Seventh Continent nearly enough to justify that one, so that was one I had to pass on.
1: I have played Seventh Continent a lot, and I still haven't played it nearly enough to justify getting it, and yet here it is. (laughs) Hey! There you go. Right. I've got a big day of games tomorrow and then I'm meeting a very attractive young man for lunch on Wednesday. You are, you are. What are we going to play? You got any plans? I was thinking about bringing... Nah. Down. I might bring 7th yeah. uh, Citadel. <laughs> That's little relaxing half an hour game in the pub. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
0: Boys, can you go home now,
1: please? No. Nah. No. no, lock in. Seventh Citadel, lock in. <laughs> right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will be back shortly because I've got a bunch of reviews lined up. I've got to get some of these games out of my house. I've reviewed them. <laughs> uh, we'll see if Shorty's got enough to join me. Well, fingers crossed.
0: Well, hopefully, yeah, I've um, played a few bits and pieces. I've got the Veil of Eternity to
1: talk about. Oh, bring that tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. Wednesday oh, evening. Yes, yes, yes. I really want to play that. Yes. That's another one that came up in uh, lots of lists. Yeah, that was the
0: one that I literally
1: missed out on. It was the first one
0: I went for in Essen, and we found out they had four and a half copies. Typical man, (laughs) do effort.
1: Wow! (laughs) I I think they literally had fifty copies. (laughs) Doing their best, man. They got well, They signed a deal with Renegade, so it worked. Whatever happened, yeah. They've made their money. I think that's why they got Essen. They, they, they. Oh yeah, definitely. But that's why. Yeah. I would yeah, say almost it's, it's, the majority of companies get It's a business there. model isn't it? Yeah, try and get picked uh, yeah. up absolutely, absolutely. So right, sure. thank you thank you everyone for joining us, especially in our ramblings there at the end. Yeah, uh, you're, you're much appreciated, thank you Seany
0: Thank you Ronan, and as always we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dicetail itself for gaming goodness galore. We're not even going to talk about social media because we're barely on it anymore, but if you do wish to pop along, we you can find us in the usual places. If you wish to contact us and please do we love hearing from you it's the email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and we are active on our board game guild thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time on the game pit music